Hey everybody, welcome back to the Temple Tea. This is your host Raven. So excited that you are back for episode two. In today's episode, we're going to be interviewing Gavin Pamer. We're going to be talking all things Temple Theater education. So Gavin is our new director of education and also our associate artistic director. Um, so Gavin is originally from Pittsburgh, PA, but now resides in Sanford. Thank you, Peggy Taphorn. Um, we'll get to that later. That's a little bit of pre-show tea that I can spill for you. But he and Peggy actually met in West Virginia. Oh, stop. I'm giving too much away. Okay. Anyway, more about Gavin. So Gavin not only is part of our incredible administrative staff, he also is an equity card carrying actor. He's a director. He's a choreographer, music director, stage manager. I mean, he wears all the hats. Um, he actually received musical theater training at Point Park University. So, um, incredible education right there. Um, but he also helped to build the Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center in Midland, PA. He was their founding artistic director. He also established the professional company, the student company, and the dance company while there. Um, he also went on to um, co-create the Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School and was the founding director of theater and the director of dance. Um, so he actually came here at the request of Peggy back in 2018 to direct direct our um, summer conservatory programs and the rest is as you can say history so I can't wait for you to hear more of Gavin's story we're going to be spilling all the tea on education we're going to be talking about what's coming new and we're going to talk about those fabulous temple teens that you all love so let's jump into this episode Everybody, welcome back to the Temple Tea. We are so glad that you're here. I am getting to interview our, how do I even say your title? You have like 15 titles. I'm the Associate Artistic the Director. The Associate Artistic Director. And Director of and Education. Director of Education. Yes. Master of all things Temple Teens. <laughs> I mean, literally, he does it all. He wears 15,000 hats like we all do in the theater industry. Uh, but I am talking about our very own Gavin Pamer. Um, and we are just going to dive into all things Temple Education, kind of talk about how the education department started, how it's grown over the years, and then kind of where we're going. So welcome to the podcast, Gavin. I'm so happy to be here, Raven. <laughs> they should just, you should just actually, the podcast should just be the two of us in the office. I know, really. With just... you on your treadmill and me, like, sitting <laughs> <Yeah>. there talking. <laughs> me back there. To... <laughs> I know, the Xerox guy came yesterday, and I stopped to, like, let him in. And he goes, oh, don't, don't let me stop you. You're trying to get your steps in. I was like, yep, walking worker here. <laughs> Um, but we'd have to edit a lot out. We would, with, because with, there's a lot. If, when you work with Gavin, there are a lot of explicatives. So we would have to beep yeah. out the entire I get frustrated sometimes. <laughs> a <know>. little bit. <laughs> but welcome to with the podcast. With myself more than anybody else. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we, have, we have an interesting uh, job. We do. Or job. And I love my job. And yeah. I love being here at the Temple. And I'm happy that Peggy invited me here. Uh, my first show here was in 2015 when I did The Addams Family. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love. And she said when she had a full-time job available for me, she'd bring me down. And she did. And I moved from Pennsylvania to uh, North Carolina. I love it here. 
especially mm-hmm. on days like this, the weather is gorgeous. Oh my gosh, it's so pretty. It's beautiful. My my sunrise walk this morning, I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't even need a jacket. Right. It's great. It's perfect. It's wonderful. So let's dive into that. So let's talk about, we're going to start with your personal career because I want to let everybody know. I think people really don't know a lot of your story, kind of like with Peggy last week. Um, people don't really know. So you're from Pittsburgh originally. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, uh, well, a small city called Beaver Falls. And most mm-hmm. people across the country will know Beaver Falls because of Joe Namath. Joe Namath is mm-hmm. our claim to fame. He, of course, was the famous quarterback for the Jets. Oh. And uh, he still uh, is a hometown favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beaver Falls still loves him. But I grew up there, and I'm the youngest of nine. I have an identical... Nine? Yeah, I have eight brothers Holy and sisters. Crap. Let's just pray for your mom. Right. We like, are a good. <laughs> we are a good. We are a good uh, a Catholic family, Irish uh-huh. Catholic family, and uh, I have five sisters and three brothers, and I have an identical twin brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in a small town, I started dancing at the age of six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thelma Muyo is my first dance teacher, and she taught. What inspired you to dance? Well, having a large family, on Saturday mornings, my mom would take all of my sisters to go to dance class, and my dad would take my brothers either fishing or bowling and doing something. Saturday Mm -hmm. morning was that recreation type thing. And when we were younger, my mom would just take us because when the girls were dancing, she would just watch us at the dance studio. Mm -hmm. And when I say dance studio, it truly was the basement of Thelma Muyo's house. (laughs) Like, we literally learned how to dance in the basement of her house. And when you got tall enough and your head hit the beams, you were done with your dance life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh, my mother would take us along Uh and I would sit and watch and I learned basically my story is the story of my from a chorus line I can do that I literally was watching my sisters dancing and the the basement there was a staircase that came down the basement and the studio was on this side where we danced and then there was sort of like a sitting area for all the parents who brought their kids on the other side and I would sit on the stairs, and then when I would, like, get up and dance, I would go to the other side, and I would do all the dances that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And Thelma actually came over and saw that I was doing what they were doing, and she's like, do you want to do this? And I'm like, well, I am. Of course, And yeah. so she started a dance class for kids my age, um, and uh, there were four boys in it and four girls. Aww. And so we did partner dancing, we did a lot of fun stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, we tap danced, we ballroom danced, we did everything. That's and awesome. we did that, and I was the only one, I think, that lasted through 14. 15 like in my high school days and mm-hmm. then of course Thelma got too old because she taught my mother as well she was my mother's wow. dance teacher that's insane and if you can imagine she taught seven of us because seven of us took dance lessons my twin brother had to take dance lessons I had to play baseball he had to play uh, <laughs> he had to go to dance class your mom was like you're gonna be well rounded you can pick later exactly and yeah. you know I was a better baseball player than he was and so <laughs> eventually when he wanted to dance I could quit baseball and he was happy about that because yeah. I was better than he was but anyway um But uh, it wasn't until like high school because Thelma taught my mother and then she also taught seven of us uh, $2 a week for seven of us to dance. And she was one of the greatest people in my lifetime and one of the greatest influences in my life was, Mm -hmm. was Thelma Muyo. And uh, she also taught us how to swim. She had a pool in her backyard, so we all learned how to swim. Uh, Yeah, she was a great, great human being. So So. you started dancing at six. Started dancing at six. And then uh, my sister, Laureen, who was my oldest sister, uh, they started a community theater through our church, Christ the Divine Teacher Church, and she and Sam Rocco, who consequently, his mother was my piano teacher, another great influence on my life, Mm -hmm. um, they started doing shows, and we, uh, as kids, were all in them at the church. 
And we did summer shows at the Broadhead Cultural Center, which was an outdoor amphitheater. So I started my career doing theater outdoors, Ooh. which was fun. That's where that voice came from. Yeah, absolutely. Having to project. I'm going to project all the way yeah. to the back of that 1,200-seat <laughs> uh, you know, amphitheater. Yeah. Uh, and so I did that. And then, of course, um, started doing shows at the age of seven. I think my first show was Little Abner uh, in my sister's high school production because, of course, Thelma did the choreography. So wait, we sisters. have to go back because I don't think people know. So you said you have five sisters, right? I have five sisters. Okay, and you said Laureen. You've got to give them all of their names because the first time I heard this, I was like, there's no way this is real. We are good. It's a good Catholic family. Good Irish Catholic. It's Laureen, Eileen, Maureen. Oh, Laureen, Eileen, Kathleen. Forgot Kathleen. Laureen, Eileen, Kathleen, Maureen, John, Colleen, Kevin, Brian, Gavin. And every one of my sisters, they're, they're... Christian name is Laurie Marie, Eileen Marie, Kathleen Marie, Maureen Marie, Colleen Marie. And my brothers are John Gavin, Kevin Gavin, Brian Gavin, and I'm Brian Gavin. But their confirmation names are Laurie Marie Treese, Eileen Marie Treese, Kathleen Marie Treese, Maureen Marie Treese, Colleen Marie Treese, John Gavin, John Gavin Patrick, Kevin Gavin Patrick, Brian Gavin Patrick, and I am Gavin Brian Lawrence. So I am the oddball in the family. I don't match anybody else. I could just imagine your mom at a certain point just going, you, get in here. Because, I mean, that's a lot of names. Well, for the first, I, my, my, my twin brother and I were identical twins. And for the first 12 years of our lives, we answered to twin because they couldn't tell us apart. <laughs> I mean, we had identical, we had uh, ID bracelets that we wore on our legs when we were first born, uh-huh. when we were younger. And then we got older. We wore them up until probably first grade. We had ID bracelets on our arm. And my mother dressed us, as you can see, I'm wearing green yeah. today. Um, my mother dressed me in greens, grays, and golds. And my brother Brian was in blues, browns, and blacks. So you could tell which one we were by what color we were wearing. Wow. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. I've always really wondered what that was like because, I, I mean, of course. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, it having really twins, but then, you know, that's a, that was a great system that your and mom came up with. And my sister lost three children. So, like, there would have been 12 of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was from somebody who the doctors told her she would never have children. Oh, yeah. that's inspiring. Yeah. Then she had nine. Nine. <laughs> yeah. Woo! But oh, we anyway. Had, we went to school with a family, the Wagners. There were 16 of them. Good and they actually gracious. had to buy two houses next door to each other. And the older kids lived in one house and the uh, parents and the younger kids lived in the oh, other. They had no. two homes. That's how many Mm-mm. kids they had. No, thank you. That's like the Duggars on yeah, the Duggar level. Yeah, it truly level. was. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> so don't drink the water in Pittsburgh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Beaver Falls. It's Beaver really Falls. Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Do not it's drink the water. Yeah. But so your first production was Little Abner. My first production was Little Abner yeah. and then George M. And and, uh, you know, I, I did shows all through my childhood with my sisters. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to high school, the high school where I did all of those shows when I was younger, uh, decided not to do musicals anymore. <gasps> and so uh, I had a friend, another a dear friend of mine who is another mentor of mine, along with Thelma and along with um, uh, Dr. Emma Rocco. Uh, Sandy Regal, who's a dear friend of mine, was a mentor of mine. And she, I met doing one of these summer shows she was the piano player for uh, uh, Sam and Laureen's shows Mm -hmm. and I met her when I was probably 10 and then you know when I was uh, 14 she was starting a theater company and she asked me to come and play the piano and I Mm -hmm. had just started taking piano lessons and I walked into Dr. Rocco and said I want to play the score and it was the Fantastics which is a very difficult score to play (laughs) but her not clipping the wings of a a 14 year old 
didn't say you can't play that. She sat down and wrote fingerings in on what to play and showed me the parts that I should focus on playing and, mm-hmm. and rhythms and things. And I ended up like being rehearsal pianist with my first year of piano lessons That's for the insane. production of Fantastics because I wanted to do it so much. And so right. through Sandy Regal, I started working on uh, theater productions. And so mm-hmm. when my high school stopped doing theater, uh, she needed a choreographer. And so she said, do you want to come and choreograph these other high school musicals because she hadn't gotten a job as a music teacher yet at a school, but she was directing three different high schools musicals. So I would travel around to all the musicals with her and mm-hmm. choreograph these high school musicals. Yeah. And so the one stipulation was she said, you don't tell them how old you are. You just go in and like deal. let them I'm like, deal. <laughs> so when everybody else was working at McDonald's, I was getting paid to choreograph high school musicals. And it was wow. it was a great education. And I learned to be an educator while I was still in high school, yeah. which was really great. And so I choreographed high school musicals all through my high school time mm-hmm. and even through college while I was still in college. And consequently, later in life, just a couple of years ago, I would go back and direct the orchestras for her shows because I needed the money at the right. time because I was out of a job. Right. You know? And so through Sandy, I learned how to be a choreographer and a music director. And that's where I learned music arranging. She was so a music teacher. So we've hit dancer. Yep. We've hit vocalist, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you were doing shows and then choreographing shows yeah. in high school. In high school, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then what would you consider your big break into musical theater on a professional level? On a professional level, uh, that would have been uh, actually where Peggy Taphorn and I first met. Uh, well, my first my first big job being paid to be a performer was at Kennywood Park. Mm-hmm. I was It was after my first year of college at Clarion University. I was a music ed major. And I, on a whim, my friend Bob and I uh, went to someplace in Ligonier. It was some, I, I, it was in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, and they were having auditions for Kennywood Park. And it was in a bar, and we went in and auditioned, <laughs> and I was hired as a singer-dancer at Kennywood Park. And we that's did awesome. six shows a day. And uh, consequently, that's where I met Billy Porter. Billy and I worked together at uh, Kennywood Park, and we danced and sang Under the Monongahela Monster, which was one of those spider rides. And we did six shows a day oh, wow. in the summer heat, and, you know, we washed our costumes out in the bathtub <laughs> and rung, you know, hung them yeah. to dry. And then we would go the next day and That's do six crazy. more shows. We had Mondays off and six I was paid. Yeah, I was paid four dollars and twenty five cents an hour to be a performer. Six shows a day. Oh, my and goodness. all everybody else in the park didn't like the, the performers because we were paid more than they were. Yeah. Oh, so, and four dollars and twenty five cents. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You hear that? Y'all quit complaining about your, your equity yeah. wages. And it was it was one of the greatest jobs. It was <laughs> yeah. fun because we got to ride the rides. Yeah, like, that's you know, awesome. it was it was enjoyable. So that was my first paid gig to be a performer, other okay. than choreographing through right, high school. Right. So as a professional uh performer. And my first professional uh theater gig was at it used to be called Lakeview theater and it was on the resort of uh, a Lakeview golf course in Morgantown, West Virginia. And it it is now West Virginia Public Theater and that's actually where Peggy Taphorn and I met. But I started started at Lakeview Theater in a tent uh, in the parking lot of a golf resort uh, doing uh, eight shows a week. My first 42nd Street was my first actual paid gig as a a professional. But I transferred from Clary University to Point Park University. It was Point Mm -hmm. Park College at the time and it was the conservatory there 
there and they were affiliated with the Pittsburgh Playhouse. My freshman year of college, my first professional show was 42nd Street at the Pittsburgh Playhouse. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so I did eight musicals while I was at college. Mm -hmm. uh, I did eight musicals while I was there and they were all professional directors, choreographers from mm -hmm. New York. I worked with Rob Marshall, I worked with Rob Ashford, Kathleen Marshall, mm -hmm. um, Danny Herman. They were wonderful, wonderful directors and mentors and it just happened to be at a really great time at Point Park University yeah. when the professional company was doing commercial theater. Mm -hmm. And that's where I cut my teeth, along with West Virginia Public Theater, where I got my first, that's where I also got my equity card. Uh, in 1989, I've been in the union for 31 years. Wow. And my first equity gig was playing George Cohan and George M. And I met Peggy Taphorn at West Virginia in, I think, 1990, which doesn't date us. But <laughs> Not at all. It was in a production of The Sound of Music, and uh, she was Maria, and I was 22 and playing Friedrich. And <gasps> I, at amazing. first, when I was cast, I was, like, so mad I wasn't playing Rolf. Right. But, you know, getting to meet Peggy and literally spending all of my time on stage with Peggy Taphorn was, like... A dream. Yeah. And to this day, it's still a dream to be on stage with Peggy. Yeah. I look forward to doing it in my way. We had a great time in 1776 together. Yeah, we, it's going to be a lot of fun. We enjoy being on stage together. Yeah. And it, it started in 1990. So that, that experience with Peggy started that I was that still on the ago. ovary. <laughs> Y'all have to remind me how old Peggy and I are. Thank you very much. But the, from from that and doing shows at West Virginia Public Theater and the Pittsburgh yeah. Playhouse and doing shows around the Pittsburgh region, um, I graduated college and then um, I got my... Uh, well, I did a national tour while I was in college. I did mm -hmm. the tour of 42nd Street. And then uh, my big, my big, you know big break was getting the national tour of cats and i did that for three and a half years off and on That's over awesome. the stand of two stints and that was you know back when cats was still you know it is still a phenomenon now but it was still in the early stages we yeah were, right we were Whenever traveling right. the country it was it was the hamilton of its time yeah you know it's not not in not in theatrical structure so don't you know don't tear me down for that yeah but at the time <laughs> that was the show it was to one see of the on biggest the shows yeah absolutely and so i was traveling with that show when we were still selling selling out every theater we went That's to crazy. and and I spent a very long time with the show and it was it was uh, a lucrative time and it was a fun time and I yeah. made a lot of many friends but uh, I've worked in many regional theaters around the country and mm -hmm. have done three tours and uh, different things I've choreographed two national tours it was it was exciting it was a, it was a good time so that was when, my performing career so when you were in college did you actually go for theater education or did you go for performance i went i initially went for music education okay and then uh, again another mentor of mine you know people there are there are angels that are put in your path in this world that sort of like gently you. nudge you yeah. or help you or say the right thing to you to put you where you belong mm -hmm. and i was at clarion university and i was a music ed major and i was performing in all of the theater shows like I auditioned for everything and was just had the bug. And she said, you cannot stay at this school because if you stay at the school, you're going to be a big fish in a small pond and you won't grow. Yeah. And she handed me pamphlets to every top theater school at the time. And at the time, it was like Yale, Harvard, Point Park, CMU, and uh, where Peggy went, Webster University. Mm -hmm. There were like five schools at the time. And uh, I pointed at Point Park and said, I want to go there because in high school, I had seen shows at the yeah. Playhouse and I was inspired by people who have 
become my friends since then. Uh, a teacher at school, Ron Tassone, who was uh, one of my dance teachers, gave me my first professional job at, at Lakeview Theater. Seeing the shows and the productions they put together along with Ken Gargaro, who was another mentor of mine mm -hmm. and a professor of mine at Point Park, I was inspired by what I saw and so I said, I want to go to Point Park. And she helped me get into Point Park. Colleen Kelly said, get out of here. And had she not done that, I probably would be retiring from being a high school music teacher, which is not a horrible thing because I still, no, I no. still, I'm still, I still have that passion for education, but my performance path took me in a different place. And it was because someone said, you have a talent to do this. You should do it. Right. And so I did. And uh, I still I still teach, I still perform, I still do those things, but um, mm -hmm. you know, my path is kind of all over the place, which is why I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. So I see, and I used to think that was a bad thing, but I really think that that does help us out, especially here, being a small staff. Yeah. There's eight of us. Peggy and I talked about this last week, but it was literally, I think people think that there are at least 25 of us because one, the type of productions that we're able to do. Yeah. If you walk in and look at the stage alone, you're like, wow, this is incredible. But the fact that there are eight of us mm -hmm. and we all wear about 15 hats. And I used to get so frustrated because I was like, you know, you meet people and immediately you're like, oh, that's what they're supposed to do. Cause like you can just tell. Yeah. And then you meet us and it's like, oh, you need us to do marketing. We can do marketing. Do yeah. you need us to be in mm -hmm. this show? We can do this show. And also we can choreograph the show and we can dance the show. And, you know, and so like, I think it, it honestly sets us apart from the rest of the crowd is that we're able, like we have had these just different twists and turns. I mean, Peggy was telling the same thing. Like one of her teachers was just like, why don't you audition for this show? And then, then she went to school for theater and the theater. she had never, you know, never done that. So that's really cool. Okay. So you do cats mm -hmm. and then where do we go from there? So I, I did cats and then I went to New York. Did you move to New York? Oh yeah. I lived in okay. New York for four years. I was okay. there in New York for four years. And, and the, the, the funny thing about living in New York is I spent my four years in New York working outside of the city of New York. <laughs> and yeah. I, I spent, you know, like, like many artists do in New York city, I spent a long, time auditioning for Broadway shows yeah. and trying to get in Broadway shows and there was a point when I was trying to get into the two you know I said to my partner at the time I can't get into the two worst shows on Broadway I won't tell you what those two worst shows are but like I, there I was struggling and trying to get into yeah. shows that I don't even think I would be proud of being in the people who were in them weren't proud to be in yeah. them and there I was like going to my fourth callback for these shows and these things and it was just so frustrating seeing my partner at the time's careers just taking off just because you know you know the opportunities presented himself at certain times and things right. and it was frustrating because I would go to auditions spend eight hours there auditioning for an audition and he would walk in to meet me to go to dinner after my audition and they would walk out of the studio and offer the job to him because they knew who he was yeah after you spent that entire time literally impressing them in the right. studio but then they're like oh there's somebody I know I'm gonna give them the job instead right. of you and That's so tough. I spent a lot of time outside the city of Pittsburgh, uh, city of New York working, and a lot of it was in Pittsburgh, but it was across the country. And I met some really wonderful people across the country working in theater. I was just fortunate when that time in, in New York, when I, uh, it was the second time I left Cats. So I had gone, after being in New York for about four years, I went back out on the road for Cats because I needed to work. I needed yeah. to be employed. And it's, you know, as ridiculous as, it's, as it sounds, I was like Cassie standing on a line in front of the producers of Cats going, give me a job again. Yeah. Because they were like, why are you back here? And I was like, I need to work. Yeah. And so I was fortunate that they put me back out on the road. And 
you know, because everybody wants to move into the Broadway company. Well, the person who played my role in New York never left. So I never got to move to the New York company. Yeah. But I went back out on the road. I made some more money. And when I went to New York, I looked at all of the money I had saved and thought, this money will be gone in a year. Or I could move back to Pittsburgh and live comfortably for a very long time mm -hmm. on the money I made on the road. And I, it just so happened that a mentor of mine from Point Park, Ken Gargaro, had started. I helped him start a company back in 1990. Our first show was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which I've done 13 times. 13? 13 times. I've oh, done geez. the show 13 times. But our first production together at Gargaro Productions was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I choreographed that for him and sequenced the entire show so he could use tracks. Right. I personally sequenced all the music. That's crazy. And we used tracks. And that was when we used to, it used to be on cassette tape, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, Flip to side B. Right. Flip to side yeah. B, frack two. Um, and uh, that was the first production. And then I, I choreographed his production of The Sound of Music the mm -hmm. second season his company was open. And then, of course, I went on the road. Right. Well, after I had finished in 1998, I came back to Pittsburgh. And he, the company had, it was still Gargaro Productions at the time. And over the course of time, I had gone back. And no, I don't think I did shows for him when I was on the road. I don't, I don't, I can't remember that. But when I came back, it was 1998. I know he offered me uh, a production of Music Man and I directed, that was my first time directing, was mm -hmm. a production of Music Man at, at Gargaro Productions, which is now Pittsburgh Musical Theater. And so he said, if you come back to Pittsburgh, much like Peggy, he said, if you yeah. come back to Pittsburgh, you could teach at Studio G and uh, you could do shows, you can direct, you can choreograph. And that's what I did. I moved myself back from uh, New York to Pittsburgh and I started working for Gagero Productions and I did his summer camps. And then from there, I moved into the artistic position and I was the associate artistic director for a couple of years. And then eventually I took over as artistic director mm -hmm. and went through some very difficult times with the organization because they were struggling financially. And it was my um, participation that helped keep the company open, which is why they're still here after 30 years. They're still uh, surviving. And I was there and I left Pittsburgh Musical Theater in 20, no, 2000. Four was my last year with them. Mm -hmm. And I did many shows with them, directed a lot of shows, did one national tour. We produced one national tour, The Goodbye Girl, with Eddie Mecca and mm -hmm. Connie Salutis. Uh, Eddie Mecca from God Rest His Soul from um, Laverne and Shirley Show. Yep. I choreographed him in that national tour, and that was co-produced by Pittsburgh Musical Theater. And then uh, I moved from Pittsburgh Musical Theater to Pittsburgh Cielo. I had worked with them over the course of time, but they were opening a new theater. So I was the production stage manager for their first production of Forever Plaid. So I got to work with Guy Stroman, who was one of the original plaids, who did an amazing production of Forever Plaid, and mm -hmm. I stage managed that. And while I was working on Forever Plaid, I was hired near my hometown in Midland, Pennsylvania, which is just about 15 minutes from Beaver Falls. They were creating a brand new performing arts facility. Mm -hmm. And as I was driving past these nucle a nuclear power plant to go to my interview, I thought, these people are crazy building something all the way out here. Nobody's going to come to this. And then I saw the plans because I drove up to, you know, basically a pile of dirt and a couple of steel beams. So they had already started the process of building. And I walked in and saw the plans and thought, I will be crazy if I'm not part of this, uh, yeah. of this organization. So I took the job as artistic director. I was the founding artistic director of Lincoln Park Performing Arts Center and the Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School. I was the, the founding uh, director of theater there. And so I did that for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I helped build a $30 more million performing arts facility. And I also helped create 
a high school for performing arts, which, you know, people are crazy to do it, but I was one of yeah. the founding members of it. And the school still has 750 kids. It's thriving. It's in its, it opened in 2006 and it's mm -hmm. a beautiful facility. And uh, circumstances out of my control caused me to leave that organization. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was out of work and found myself like in 2015 saying, what am I going to do now? Do yeah. I move back to New York? And you talk about that jack of all trades, master of none. You know, that that's when you pull upon all of those things yeah. and your skills because you start musical directing again and you direct here and you direct mm -hmm. there and you work at the Cinemark and you right. <laughs> sell tickets at the movie theater mm -hmm. and you play piano at Point Park University. You, you join their music staff and... You start using all of your skills to survive because um, you start working at a place where you think you're going to retire and then life throws a curveball. And it does that. Everybody, everybody has those moments in their life where something is thrown at them, where you yeah. deal with it and move on. And fortunately for me, it's nothing as horrible as cancer or an illness or tragedy. It literally was I lost a job. Yeah. And but it was a very important job to me. And it was it was a precious job. And I I appreciate and am proud of the work that I did there. Yeah. But it was someone like Peggy who reached out to me and said, you know, because I was at a very, very low place. And it was Peggy who was one of the first people that reached out and said, hey, come do a show for me. Yeah, I was going to ask. So how in the world did you end up in Sanford? <laughs> um, well, it, it was because I was out of work and I was back and and I was fortunate because I did a lot of wonderful work at Pittsburgh C Civic Light. It's Pittsburgh CLO now. And I did a lot of work. I did their Christmas Carol for seven years there. I've done over 25 shows doing shows for them, either uh, stage managing. I choreographed uh, My Way, a production of My Way for their cabaret. I worked on a production of Xanadu, but I've done numerous shows and have worked with some incredible directors, choreographers, mm -hmm. and major stars at, at Pittsburgh CLO. And I also worked at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, the Pittsburgh Playhouse. I've been very fortunate to, you know, Pittsburgh is a really big theater town. Yeah. And there's a lot of talent that came out of Pittsburgh. And I've worked with some incredible people in my career there. But it got to a point where I was stagnating because I was reaching a point in my life that none of us really want to admit to. But once you get older and you get to a point where the business becomes younger, you you have to start facing some hard realities. Yeah. You know? And I'm glad I don't have to face it on a, a larger scale. You know, I, I think about all the actors and actresses in the movie business who are famous stars mm -hmm. who are still trying to keep a career up when they're in their 50s, 60s, and right. 70s. And it was it was probably a time when I was in New York, I was doing auditions for, I think, West Virginia Public Theater when I was directing and choreographing there. I saw this woman who was in her 70s with her bags and her backstage was back time when backstage was a paper and you didn't read it online. And she was going to an audition. She was in her 70s, like wow. still still hoofing it and going. And I thought to myself, I, I don't want to be that person in New York City. I don't want to be mm -hmm. that age and not have a life and a family. And so that's when I went into arts administration. That's Because yeah. Ken offered me a job. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do something that's going to be a little more stable. Yeah. So being in the administrative side of it. So when I lost my job in 2015, Peggy was the first person that reached out to me and said, hey, come do a show. And she offered me... <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Alfred Doolittle and My Fair Lady. And I thought, I'm not old enough to play <laughs> Alfred Doolittle. <laughs> but, uh, but apparently I am. There's a funny story that my friend Sharon and I share. I was offered the role of Huckleby in The Fantastics at the Pittsburgh Public Theater. Ted Pappas sent me a lovely email and said, we'd love for you to come and play Huckleby. And I said to my friend Sharon, you know, I'm flattered. I'm not old enough to be like Matt's dad in this show. 
And Sharon's response to me was, you're really bad at math. You are clearly, <laughs> you are clearly old enough to have a 20 year old. And I realized. You're like, ow. Oh, I was like, oh, I'm 47. Oh yeah. You're yeah, old enough you're to have a 20 year old. definitely, that's starting but, late. But it's that, I know it's that part of your career that we all deal with. Right. That you realize that you're no longer Matt in the Fantastics. Mm-hmm. You are Matt's dad, and you are no longer Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. You're Mr. Mushnick, you know. Yeah. And I, that happened to me when I was 27 because being five seven, I have the voice of a leading man, but I have the physicality of a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then when you get past being the age to be the teenager, and you're not playing Tommy Gillis anymore, you have to eventually graduate to being one of the salesmen in The Music Man or, you know, in the barbershop quartet. Right. And because you can't play, you don't get to play Harold Hill. All the young roles that you get to play, all the dancing roles Mm -hmm. that you're right for, pass you by. I have a really great cabaret act that I'm going to do someday (laughs) that is called Pass Me By, which is all the roles that I never got to play. Because when you're you're an eight-year-old and you want to play Oliver, but your twin brother doesn't want to play Oliver, and they don't want to give it to you because they don't want to slight him, you know, and you don't get to play Oliver, and you don't get to play Winthrop in The Music Man because your twin brother doesn't want to play Winthrop, so you can't trade the roles, so you end up just being like random two, you know, two twins in the cast. (laughs) I'm not bitter about it. It doesn't sound like There were a lot of roles growing up that I wanted to play that I never got to play because my twin brother didn't want to. Oh, jeez. But then there are roles in your career that's like, oh, I wish I could have played that at some time. So, did you come for My Fair Lady? Well, no. <laughs> I, I didn't come for My Fair Lady because I had a little too many speeding tickets and my license was oh, revoked. Geez. So at the lowest of low of my life. So uh, that's a little tea for you. Gavin can't drive. <laughs> no, I, I can drive. I can drive. The problem is that you I You can't was, legally drive. No, no, no. speed limit. I can legally drive. <laughs> no, but my license revoke was revoked. And so I couldn't actually get here because I couldn't drive down here. <laughs> so when I took my test again, when, when I walked into that room with like a bunch of people who had DUIs and had their license revoked nice. and a, and a, a high High school teenager with a lead foot, like a high school cheerleader mm-hmm. with a lead foot, and took my test again and got my license back. I could drive down to Sanford, and that's when I came down to play Uncle Fester in The Adams Family. And so that was my first okay. show here, and I fell in love with the theater. I knew, and so that was Peggy sending it, you know, reaching out to me and saying, "Get out of the funk you're in and come yeah, here and do some do theater." Show. And I had a blast, and it was wonderful. I met again wonderful people who I am still very involved with, and I met and saw what the temple does yeah. and what Peggy has done here. And I was like, I think I want to be a part of that. So she invited me back in 2016 to direct and choreograph Anything Goes. Mm-hmm. So I got to direct and choreograph that, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, she asked me to come back for, it was Beauty and the Beast, which is still my favorite experience yeah. here at Temple Theater. It was beautiful. Again, love every person in that cast. We had such a great time doing the show. And I choreographed that and played Cogsworth. And it was one of those times where Peggy was like, I need help. And I was like, I'll come and help. Mm-hmm. And then from that production, Peggy was cast in Mamma Mia and she needed somebody to run the summer conservatories. And I was hired at Pittsburgh CLO to do their entire summer season. And she said, please come down here and do it. And I had sworn off education for a while because after 12 years of being in education, building a a school, I was a little bitter about it. And she said, no, just come down here. You're the right person for this job. And so I did. And again, fell in love with the students here, fell in love with the experience 
it was a great summer. That was the summer we did Aladdin Jr. We did How to Eat Like a Child, which mm-hmm. is still a great experience. We did Into the Woods with the teens, and our Shakespeare that summer was a Midsummer Night's Dream. And it was a great, great, great time. So then from there, I did 1776. And then when Peggy had time, she said, I have a full-time job for you. You want to be the marketing director? And I had known what marketing directors do because I was an artistic director and I knew how to shape those things and and to guide that. And it was a full-time job. And my partner Alva came down during the summer and my sister Kathleen came to visit me during 1776. And both of them said, I've never seen you happier. You know, because they they saw me at my lowest point too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And it was the temple that sort of like pulled me out of the, the depression and funk I was going through. And so it was time to move. And also that summer with the kids here at the temple made me realize that educating kids is what I like doing and it's what I should be doing. Exactly. In addition to the performance and directing it's it was a part of me that was gone Mm -hmm. and sort of you know behind me but peg me made me realize that this is what i should be doing and so i've been here and it's it's been great and uh, so i was the marketing director (laughs) and then you came along which makes life so much better for me (laughs) you came along and Peggy started looking. We uh, recently lost our uh, former artistic director. I mean, our former education director decided to move back to a job that she was at before. Peggy was looking for a new education director. Mm-hmm. And I walked into her office and said, stop looking for an education director. I'll do it. And she said, well, I'm finally glad you came to that realization. Yeah. Because she had offered me the job when I first lost the job. Mm-hmm. And she, she, you know, she said, come here. And I just wasn't ready to do yeah. it. And so after turning it down five times... Uh, You're just a little hard-headed, huh? A little uh, stubborn? Just a little stubborn? Just a little stubborn? Yeah, you don't know that at all. You have no... Tea piece number two. (laughs) Gavin Paymer is so stubborn. I'm Irish and a Leo. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a double whammy. But it has worked out in our favor here at the theater because... This is, I guess, where we can kind of segue into the growth of the education department. So I know when I I started here at the theater taking our education programs, that was in 2006, I think, was my first experience Mm -hmm. here. And we had one summer conservatory. Yeah. It was one summer conservatory. Everyone was fighting for spots. And, like, that was it. And then it grew to... We're going to do a summer conservatory and then we're going to do a winter Shakespeare thing. Or I think one of the ones that I did was Brecht on Brecht. And that was the most depressing. Oh, yeah. You don't (laughs) The most I was like, I'm reading through some of the monologues that I have to do. And I was like, I've done one Brecht in my lifetime. I've done one Brecht in my lifetime twice. It's the same one that I've done twice. It was a great experience. But yeah, Brecht is. It is very, very. I mean, and eventually our kids will do it. Yeah. It was very eye opening. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of those things where I was like, this is so different from, I think, one of my first Shakespeare experiences was Midsummer Night's Dream, which was, it was fun. It was great. But we did it kind of set in the 80s with all the, you know, different kind of. 80s music so that was fun now it has just it's grown well when Peggy got here she realized that that was one of the things that was sort of missing was Mm -hmm. like the you know there was a program but it just wasn't large enough and wasn't expanded enough Mm -hmm. and I think Peggy's presence here and her being an educator herself too I, I just love watching her with kids yeah she's I love well I love watching her work with every age uh and i've learned a lot from being here with her and how to manage that whole dynamic of eight-year-olds and adults who've 
been on stage twice and adults who've had a career and are equity actors. Like right. she manages every person from the eight year old down to the yeah. most experienced person ever. And she's so wonderful with all of them. And that's sort of what she developed. She, she has developed this atmosphere here of inclusivity that is so terrific and wonderful. And she gives opportunities to everyone. Right. And that's what we have been building upon, which has been great. My, my first year was, the first preteen camp, mm-hmm. which we were going to do in a week, which was a pilot program. Yeah, we, had we had never done it. We had never done it before. No. Gracie and I, um, uh, she's now Gray Lancaster, um, looked at each other and was like, how, how can we do it? And they were 12 of the most incredible kids I've ever met in my entire life because they far surpassed our expectations. And yeah. they were incredible. And it's it's interesting that the, the two lowest times in my life, one was when I was 30, <laughs> <laughs> that was a low time. I was like, I was don't tell me that. I turned 30 in a few months and I'm freaking out. Well, again, I found myself I found myself unemployed yeah. and like worrying where and wondering where my next job was coming from. Yeah. And it was uh, a production of working that I was doing at, at Pittsburgh Musical Theater with 25 kids that to this day are still the most cherished people I think I've ever met. It's because of what we did in a room together mm-hmm. with nothing. We had nothing. We... You know, we had a script and we had a piano player and we created really great theater. Yeah. And that's the same thing that happened with this particular group of kids in How to Eat Like a Child. Um, it was something, I was at a very dark place in my life and it was that experience with them going, oh, okay, these kids really have inspired me to teach again, which, you know, it's it yeah. was great. Both that with that cast of working and those kids, if any of them are listening, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. There are 25 of you, and I can still, to this day, see all of your faces, name your names, and I know exactly where each one of you is because I stalk all of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm... T number three, Gavin, is yeah. a stalker. No, 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 I'm no, kidding. No, no. I'm just so proud. You know, yeah. I work with a lot of educators in my life, mm-hmm. and being an educator is a really, really rewarding job. Yeah. It's also a very thankless job. I was going to say, it's very thankless. you live for so many people. I don't have any children of my own. Yeah. You know, I have, I have Alva's cat, Chloe, who is my child, but I don't have any personal kids of my own. Mm -hmm. And my students become your kids. Even educators who have children, their students, you still live through them and you still hope the best for them and everything. And I have some very, very successful students that I'm so proud of. And I still keep track of all of them. They don't know it, but I know exactly what all of them are up to. And I follow their careers. And their careers may not be in theater. Their careers may be in the FBI, which I love that. That's awesome. Homeland Security. Like, I am proud of all of the work. And, you know, there's that 25 kids that were in that production of Working that inspired me to not be the person I was at the time. And there were these 12 kids in How to Eat Like a Child that made me realize that this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And so when I think that's the thing that sets you apart as an educator too, is because you fully understand, you know, it was kind of the thing that Peggy and I talked about. It's like a circle of life moment, mm-hmm. you know, where you realize the way that she said it, she was like, I had gotten so much from this industry that I realized it was time to get back. Get and back. for mm-hmm. you, it was kind of like you had been hurt by something that had happened to you. And you thought, not you, know, you kind of, not once, but but twice. Yeah, but then also it, it's kind of like you lost your spark and then mm-hmm. you came back, you opened yourself back up to the opportunity yep. and when you did that not only were you rewarded personally but now you have all of these amazing kids who, one, absolutely love you, yeah. 
But two, they have learned to respect you, not just as a performer, but as somebody who is a mentor figure in their life. You're pouring into them in a way that, you know, they're probably not going to get the same amount from maybe a high school educator because, mm-hmm. let's face it, the arts are not the most sought after career or path that people or parents are even pushing their kids to go in because you hear all the time oh you know you're gonna have to scrape for bread and you're you know you're you're gonna (laughs) good luck surviving i'm living proof yeah Yeah. (laughs) no i'm living proof that like you know it it is very difficult and i have friends in my life uh, dear friends of mine who started out in college and and were studying musical theater and realized that it wasn't the career for them because of the hardship of it all. They really, truly had a passion for theater, but they could not deal with the disappointment and the rejection. And, you know, that's something that as a performer, you have to, that's the number one thing you have to start getting used to is being rejected. And, you know, in my personal experience, there were two major setbacks in my life that uh, caused me to rethink it all. And it was actually theater and it was actually students and being an educator that helped pull me from that. And that's why it's so nice being here and being inspired again to to do what I love and and be a part of that passion again. You know, having come from that point of Mm -hmm. being rejected and basically being rejected twice or having something that you're passionate about being taken away from you. I, I learned from a friend a long time ago that you can still have theater in your life and you can have a career. You mm-hmm. can have a career in something else and be a school psychologist or be a personal therapist and live an entire life mm-hmm. and do theater on the side. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, most of the kids I educated, especially at Lincoln Park, I was there for 12 years. I would say out of the, let's see, 12 years of kids, 100 kids a year, um, out of those 1,200 kids, I would say probably 10 to 15 really have a career mm-hmm. doing theater. And the rest of them, have really successful careers, but their theater education has helped make them successful yeah, in their careers. Absolutely. And that's why even the classes we do here at the Temple, seeing their the personal growth of a lot of these students, just as a performer, one, is really astonishing. But then also seeing them as well-rounded human beings. You know, we, we talk about it all the time that in addition to teaching, singing, dancing, and acting, we teach life skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, there is something to be said for these kids knowing that, you know, being on time and showing up on time and completing the tasks that they were asked to do from the time they left until the time they came back and being part of a community, mm. giving something to that particular community, yeah. you know, investing in something. They really have learned a lot. Most of my students <laughs> are afraid. Uh, they're afraid of me at first. They're a little, they might be intimidated, but they're usually scared of me. They say, oh, you're mean. I'm not mean. I'm just very strict. <laughs> you're very direct also, though. I think that takes people by surprise. Because well, we, let, let's just put it this way. <laughs> I am an, I'm a Yankee. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it's different here in the here's South. Here's thing. Here's a little temple tea. Um, <laughs> there's one thing in my life that I really can't abide by, and it's people who lie to me. Yeah. And I've been lied to too much in my life, and so liars are the worst on my list. Yeah. And here in the South, <laughs> I've realized that people don't like to hear the truth. I will always tell the truth. I will always tell my students the truth. Mm -hmm. But also, on that same thing, I'm never going to squelch their desires and dreams. Right. Because at this age, they should desire and dream about being on Broadway. Yeah. Do I hope and wish that for them? Yes. 
I do. But they also need a sense of reality. I'm never going to tell them no. I will do everything in my power to help them achieve what they want to achieve. But at the same time, they also have to know the harsh realities of how hard it is to achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it takes more than talent. It takes more drive oh, and stamina to get sure. to that point than it really is about, I'm the most talented person in the world. There yeah. are a lot of talented people who have not made it. And I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of people whose careers, like I sit there and watch people on stage and think, I know 10 other people who would be better at this that have now decided to start a career in something else. Mm -hmm because they just, you know, their soul couldn't take the disappointment and the yeah. rejection. And that is a hard thing to deal with. And again, most of the classes I teach and most of the things that I do, I'm not training these kids to be on Broadway. I'm training them to have confidence, to enjoy and explore a passion they might have. You know, I was that weird, stupid, wacky kid at 13 who listened to nothing but musical theater cast recordings. Mm -hmm. Like, so much so that, like, Alva wants to throw all of the CDs and, I was gonna and say, albums I still have at Temple home. Tea tidbit number five. How large is your collection, Gavin? Pre-purge. Pre-purge. Gavin has a little bit of a problem. It is. <laughs> I, I do. Anybody who comes to my house... <laughs> Gus was just at the house the other day looking at my movie collection. And, you know, I am, I'm a collector. You know, yeah. uh, I'm an addict of all things musical theater. And I did purge a lot. And yeah. here's the thing. It, it was... But these are, these are cast recording these albums are, these that are, you have. I have LPs. Yes, I still have the vinyl. And thanks to uh, Bianca Stumpf um, offering me <laughs> chorus close and play, I can still listen to my oh, cast recordings. That's amazing. But I also have CDs as well. And it's interesting because everybody's like, why do you still have your CDs? Because everything could be on, everything could be digital. Well, now we're finding that a lot of these digital sites, people are losing all all of their collections because they didn't save their CDs. Yep. Well, I still got my CDs and I will <laughs> yeah. always have my CDs. Plus, I also, when I work with people who are on those recordings, I have them autograph them. So I have a lot of That's autographed really cool, CDs yeah. with a lot of famous people who have signed them for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, they don't mean anything to anybody else, but it's a lot. But I lost a lot of my treasures when I moved down here because um, our den, one section of our den flooded. And so oh, all no. of my theater memorabilia was destroyed. So all of my, a lot of my pictures, a lot of that my posters sucks. and things. And it was devastating for a very short second. Um, and Alva was really great because he went through and he saved what he could save. Of he, course he did. And he saved what Alva's he could save and he threw the rest away without me seeing what it was Aww. because there were a lot that of... That would have been harder. It was my entire career it. in print. It wow. was, you know, and I had, it was all of the posters from my office that I mm -hmm. used to have. It was, you know, photographs of me with anybody who was ever famous, mm -hmm. you know, and it was devastating. But I we're going to have to tell the story that you were telling me about you and, and Joey. <laughs> Joey Fatone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell that on a different podcast. We'll do a podcast. <laughs> but, oh, man, that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he won't be happy when I tell the story. <laughs> no, and sorry, Joey, I'm going to get it told. Told you where. No, he's but the greatest guy in the world because he, he made video recordings for people's birthdays, you know, before, what's that new cameo they have? Yeah. I started cameo a long time ago with Joey Fatone <laughs> making him make birthday videos for That's people. That's amazing. Yeah. But Let's talk about where the education department is going now. So you've been here for several years. Several years. Well, I said, I, I guess it was 2019 when I fully came on full time. That was during okay. Big River when I directed Big River. And that was my first official day as a full time staff. So you're member. like 
three years in, where do you see the education department going? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited to build? Let's talk about all things growth. Well, one of the things that I'm really proud of right now are the current Temple teens that we have. They are a dedicated, really great, dedicated bunch. Yeah. Um, They're talented. They are sponges. And they're they're exciting, and mm-hmm. it's great to work with. the The time that I get to spend with them every week, I get two hours with them every single week. It's the highlight of my week, and I want to expand upon what we do with the Temple teams. Yeah. My education philosophy is really process over product, and I know a lot of people like blah 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 blah. But when you focus on skill building and when you focus on doing things of that nature, your product ends up being better. And a lot of times mm-hmm. in education today, since No Child Left Behind, we teach to the test because we have to reach right. We have to reach goals. Every school, unfortunately, every school district in this country has to reach a certain level that every student has to be at this level. So we spend so much time, and I experienced it in, when I was working at the high school. I experienced kids who were, their arts time was being taken away to tutor them in math and to tutor them in science and to tutor them in English to get their reading levels at a certain height and their math levels to get certain scores so the school could reach levels mm-hmm. so that they could get more funding or whatever. And it was really all about test scores and it was not yeah. about education. Yeah, because I don't need to know a polynomial to be able to pump gas. Correct. You know, or to fix my well, bank and, account. And, <laughs> unfortunately, that's what's uh, part of what I feel is wrong with education is the life building skills that we used to have growing up. We mm-hmm. had home ec class. As ridiculous, I know that seems like really crazy. Like, how dare you like teach girls how to cook and clean? No, teach every kid how to cook every and clean. Kid. And those are the classes that are missing. Shop class. I miss shop class. Mm-hmm. I miss home ec class. I miss the class where we teach kids how to balance a checkbook. Oh, yeah. I miss the class where we teach kids how to type. We all had to take those basic menial, stupid, mm-hmm. shore type classes, but they built skills for everything we do in right. this world. Just writing a check, signing your name, writing in you cursive. Know, cursive for yeah, goodness now sake. It's, it's all of even... those things because we are so focused on test scores and having our kids being having benchmarks that, oh, they know this much material and they're this smart and their scores are this high. It's the same thing with the SATs and the ACTs getting into college. Most kids that I know, test scores don't mean anything anymore. Most of the grades that we get in school, in life, nobody ever says, let me look at your transcripts from school. Nobody ever says that when they're interviewing you for a job. And I'm not saying, kids, if you're listening, I'm not saying that grades are not good. You should strive to be the best that you can be. Mm -hmm. But I think the arts have been put by the wayside. The arts really open a child's mind. It helps with math. It helps with science. It helps with history. It helps thinking. Yeah, I was reading a statistic the other day that was talking about students that have some sort of continuous arts education are 68% more likely to be more successful adults. Absolutely. I was like, that's insane to me. Absolutely. Because that's a very small tweak that we could make. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's something we could actually achievably do is just making sure that children... I think you were the one that told me that there's a statistic out there right now that if a child doesn't see live theater Mm -hmm. by the age of 11, they never will. They will never participate in it because it's just And that's crazy. But in our society... But think about it. We are attached to our phones so much that, like, we find ourselves watching movies and things on our phones when we're bored. We, we do more looking at a small screen than we do going out and seeing a live piece of yeah. theater. I'm a firm believer of process over product. Yeah. And really, the Temple Teen program is really the culmination 
of that process. That's where we come into a room and we put all of those skill building things that they have learned Mm -hmm. in all of their other classes, we put that together. And I think our audiences who have seen the Temple Teens the past year have realized they've learned a lot. So it's all of the other classes and things that they do that we can put together. And that's where the courses that we want to do in the Temple Academy that we're working on Mm -hmm. help toward putting a show together. What they learn in their, uh, the classes at, in the academy, they can take and use when they're doing their show at their high school. Mm-hmm. They can take and use when they're doing a, a professional show here on the stage here right. or in their conservatory shows. Right, and we just had the largest enrollment we have the in our, our winter registration. Correct, that we've had in the ever. history of Temple yeah, Theater. Yeah, which is absolutely. incredible. Which includes adult classes too. Right, Yes, we, That's ha- we have adult classes as well. Where I want to see the education program going, of course, we had a meeting, a great meeting this morning. Yes, uh, oh, spill the tea, spill the thing, Gavin, because Peggy just like slightly touched on it. She was like, "I'm going to leave that for Gavin." So spill the tea. So here, here's the here's the temple tea. This morning, uh, we met with Ashley and Mallory at Sweet Southern Home and Design with preliminary plans for the renovation for the Black Box and the Education Building, and it's really exciting. Oh, it and we're going so to good. tell everybody it, and they're going to see it uh, on March fifteenth. We're going to do a presentation during our season reveal mm-hmm. about what the building is going to look like, and it looks incredible so with that I was so impressed I know so am I I, they're wonderful and they've done great things and so we're looking forward to this this renovation with this renovation it will gain us three new studios Mm -hmm. um, two dance studios and one of those dance studios will be the VIP lounge which will be used prior to shows and Mm -hmm. for events and special events and then we will also have a music studio a a vocal music studio in the back so there will be three new studios I think that's my favorite part so far yeah I mean, just the renderings that we've seen, like, I'm probably, you're going to find me in there all the time. Like, I'm just going to move my office in there. Right, move your office in there. (laughs) It looks amazing. There's no room for your treadmill. No, No. (laughs) got to go in there. It's great. But also, that will give us access back down to the stage door as well, which we still have access there, but now we will have an entire area of escape in the back that will be safe, that we can also utilize, which means we can use that education building for the summer, and we have access really sort of like rounding our campus out. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an exciting thing. So where I see the education, our summer programs have always been very successful. And again, that moment, the summer programs and the summer conservatories really are the culmination of all of the technique courses that kids take throughout the year. Right. We really touch upon some of that technique within the eight-hour day that we have. Is it eight hours? 10 to 4.30, I don't know. I'm bad at math. That's why I'm in theater, because I'm bad at math. Um, 8, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, three. yeah, it's 8 hours. Um, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 30. Okay, it's 6 and a half hours. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I'm, and I'm counting on my fingers. Uh, six and a half hours during the summer. And that really is, we touch upon some of those technique courses. We really do touch upon those technique courses during the Shakespeare week. That's a yeah. three-week camp. And if all of the camps could be three, weeks and we could be that intensive with them, that would be great. But we still manage either in one week or two weeks to produce a full musical Mm -hmm. with the students. And that is really 
teaching the rehearsal process and performance process. Right. That's our very successful summer conservatory. And we have five conservatories over the summer and they're really exciting shows this summer. I'm yes. excited for everybody. The Temple Teens know what they are. So do not try to wiggle it out of them because they are sworn to secrecy. <laughs> you they can find out in you. 13 days. 13 days you can find out what it is. 13 days. So we have the very successful summer conservatory and we have our wonderful classes with the academy class. I'm really looking forward to creating a half-day program like I had in Pittsburgh. Uh, my friend Amy Heathcott and I, um, when we were working together at Pittsburgh Musical Theater, we created a half-day program at Pittsburgh Musical Theater mm -hmm. in the Studio G program and the Young Performers Institute. I'm going to steal the name, but I really want to have education all the time here at the yeah. temple throughout the year. I know we have a lot of homeschool school students that we can educate during the day, mm -hmm. but I'm really going to start working with a lot of the school districts around here to see if there's a way that we can help educate students because I still want them to participate with their schools and yeah. do their musicals at their school and find every opportunity they can for those performance outlets. Mm -hmm. But I really want to help focus on the actual technique courses. Yeah. And those will be courses in dance, there'll be courses in acting and music. I really feel that with this renovation that we have, it's going to expand the amount of space that we have right. to have these classes and to have them running on a regular basis. Right. You know, we juggle our time between rehearsal space and also having time for classes. And so for the course of next season, one of the things we're doing is simplifying our main stage season to try to find more space for educational opportunities. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to expand and have a fall conservatory and also have a spring conservatory yeah. and maybe not focus on the musical aspect, large musical. We're going to do things, maybe a play here and there, mm -hmm. but try to find diversity in what we do within the education department. Right. And I'm thrilled to move forward with it. I'm excited that Peggy has been a part of it mm -hmm. uh, since I took over as the education director. And we have a lot of exciting things happening. We do. And I think the cool thing, I'm I mean, say whatever you want about Sanford and small town, but I think what excites me most about it, going through the public education system and, you know, doing the musicals at Lee Senior, Lee Senior for Life, Go Jackets. Um, sorry, Southern, you suck. I'm just kidding. We'll cut that out. Um, but anyway. <laughs> no, you won't. And I won't. <laughs> I'm a little biased. I love, I love. I love all the schools, but um, no, I just think one of the coolest things is now we have a couple of charter schools. Yes. And one of the things that I love about the charter schools is that they do have an arts focused and they lean more towards being more accepting of the arts. You know, with the traditional school system, it's harder. I mean, yeah. I remember at least senior doing some of our, our shows and it was, I mean, a shoestring, a little skinny yeah. itty bitty shoestring budget, you know, and so there's not as much support. But I think one of the things that will be cool is, you know, starting this you know, piloting this half day program and getting these other educators involved, mm -hmm. because I think what they're going to begin to see is that their students are more engaged in the classroom Correct. because they have things that they're excited about. They're mm -hmm. not just having to do, you know, for me, I mean, I was good at, I was good at math. I was good at I reading. Was I, was you know, I was kind of just, I was a good student. Um, geometry, whew, that was a whole nother, I, <laughs> that was the worst for me. Too. Yeah. Shapes in me. We, mm -mm, that was my first C and I think I cried my eyeballs out. Like, and my parents were like, it's, it's okay. And I was like, no, it's a C. That's <laughs> terrible. You know, um, if only they would have known, but, um, 
you know, I think what they're going to begin to see is that the students that are going to be taking our programs are going to be more engaged in their classroom. They're going to be more excited about school because they have something to look forward to afterwards. You know, I think they're going to see these more well-rounded individuals in and out of the classroom. And I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity for other students who maybe have never heard of the Temple Theater. You know, I I was introduced to the Temple Theater by someone that I went to school with. I've lived in Sanford my entire life, except for a couple years in, in college in Tennessee. But I was introduced by someone who was doing the conservatory camps. And had that friend not told me about Temple Theater, I never would have known. Because I just wouldn't have known. And so I think this is going to be a really cool opportunity for us to really show this community what an awesome thing we have here. And I'm really excited that you're doing it because just with your, you've shown me some of the productions from, (laughs) I'm like, those aren't adults. No, they're not adults. (laughs) Those are all teenagers. But that that is (sighs) is truly a product. Yeah. Those, that is a product of process over product. Yeah. And one of the other things that I know a lot of, uh, of parents who might be listening to the podcast, um, a, a lot of people in general, a lot of people in general don't know what we learn. And even the educators that I work with back in Pennsylvania didn't know what we do in the arts and what type of things we do in a classroom. Yeah. My classes are really very structured and they are uh, there is a very strict curriculum to what we do. Mm-hmm. I, I have built a curriculum over the past 15 years of these courses. And right. I know everybody thinks it's, oh, it's just a bunch of fun and games and you go and play act and go you do improv, those things and you go. Yeah. It, it really is. There's a lot more science yeah. to theater and there's a lot more structure to it. It's the same thing with dance classes. Oh, they just go and like dance about. No, there's a lot more academia mm-hmm. when it comes to learning the arts. And a lot of the courses that I will be starting are based in academia. Yeah. And that is what some of my students now realize. It's like, oh, I, I, you want me to bring a notebook and a pencil and take notes. Right. Yeah, I do. Because yeah. there are many things that you can learn and many life lessons you learn that you can apply to everything. Absolutely. So a lot of these courses, right. they these are really true academic courses in the arts. Yeah. And that's what we are striving toward. Right. You know, these, the skill building that comes with the arts you know there's it's a craft you can ride so much on talent but there is a lot of skill that you need to have on how to use that talent mm-hmm. and more often than not the kids who work on their skill building and work on the skills in arts mm-hmm. succeed more than the kids who have infinitely more talent than them because there's only so much your talent will take you yeah and these courses are built and we've seen it with a lot of our students here we've seen the growth that they've made yeah. in simple motor skills for goodness sakes mm-hmm. but it's amazing what a it's amazing what a ballet class can do or a jazz class can right. do for someone's physicality and for their confidence and how yeah. they hold themselves and how they stand what a uh, an acting class can do for their confidence in speaking with people mm-hmm. or introducing themselves to people yeah. so i really am focusing a lot of our courses more toward the academia of the arts. And I don't want that to scare anyone off because we still do have fun. I am mm-hmm. one of those people, my friend Sharon and I, she's a, a, a educator friend of mine that I've known since college. We went to college together, she and her husband, Tom. We worked together at Lincoln Park. We find the fun in the work and that's how Peggy is too. Yeah, absolutely. Peggy finds the fun and the joy in the work. My favorite place to be is in a studio creating. The performance aspect of it is the icing on the cake. 
I like the actual making and putting the ingredients together in a studio. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite place to be, which is why these new studios that we're building are going to be such a wonderful atmosphere to be in. I came from a $30 million performing arts facility and I told all of my students they were spoiled because they were never going to be in anything that pretty ever again. And they never were. (laughs) And it's nice because, you know, going to the other facility where we're doing Always Patsy Cline, it's beautiful and it's pristine and it's new and fresh and fun. I still love the temple. I still love the history we have at the temple. I still love the intimacy of our theater. And it's a beautiful space to be in. We're going to create more and grow and build upon that and, you know, have safe, wonderful environment where everybody can, you know, our patrons can enjoy it, Mm -hmm. our students can enjoy it, the teachers can enjoy it, the community can enjoy it by coming in because we rent the space out as well. But I'm looking forward to what and how we're going to expand on the education department because I can already see those seeds being planted with these kids Mm -hmm. and seeing them starting to enjoy the work as well because they've reaped the benefits and see the reward at the end. Yeah of the process and they're better because of it and and I appreciate them recognizing Mm -hmm. the amount of work and the amount of dedication and time they have to put in to succeed yeah and it's it's a philosophy and it's and it's a whole mindset but it's still joyful and it's still wonderful and I am blessed that Peggy asked me to be here I am thankful that she saved my life I say it all the time Well, I think one of the things that I super appreciate about your philosophy in teaching our kids is that you do focus on the process over the final product. The final product is going to be great if you do the work. I was reading a quote the other day that said, if you strive to be 1% better, Mm -hmm. I think people always think that you have to make these gigantic leaps and bounds to be considered making any kind of progress. And I literally was reading and it said, if you strive to be 1% better every day, by the end of the year, you're going to be 37% better. Like it sounds dumb. Like it's like, okay, if I just make my bed this morning, then my bedroom will be a little bit cleaner, you know, or if I just practice this, this monologue for five minutes today. Okay. Well, at the end of the week, you have 30 minutes, 35 minutes that you've put into this monologue you probably haven't memorized by this point and then you can go into working on character and then you can you know but that's literally five minutes a day five minutes to warm up before this or five minutes of practicing your dance routine or five you know what i'm saying if you strive to get just a little bit better it doesn't have to be you know, leaps and bounds. And that's why I love that we offer these academy classes because it really is, you're getting just a little bit better. And then by the time the next academy rolls around, Mm -hmm. you're going to get just a little bit better. And then the cool thing, I mean, just an example off the top of my head is we had one of our temple teens, Eva Ann, Mm -hmm. who just was on a main stage product. She played an incredible role. Yeah. On our main stage. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of arts education. Mm -hmm. I think when I first met her, she was this little shy. I know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. She was just like, okay. You know, and, and then she's up on stage being freaking hilarious. Alongside Kathy Day. Yes. Along these amazing professionals. And 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 you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell that she was a student or Mm -hmm. she was just, you know, but that is the power of arts education. Mm -hmm. She came in prepared. She came in learning her. I mean, I think she was off book in what, three days. Yeah. Like it was because she's putting in the work because of what you've instilled in them. Well, she knows the expectation too. Like she knows. Yeah. Because that's what we work on in class. And you you touched on something, which is the continuity in, in all 
of it. It's the continuity in trading. I learned that from my from Ken Gargero, my one of my mentors. It's the continuity. You can't be a better musician or a better piano player if you only practice every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You have to have a consistency. It's Facts. the same thing with dance. It's the same thing when you work out. Yeah. Your muscles will atrophy if you don't use them. Oh, if you do don't, they ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I would find that out. Like in college, you would go through dance class and you would have dance class and you take the summer off and you would go do theater right. and you would dance during the summer. But when you got back into class, it was like, oh, retraining yourself all over again. Absolutely. There's a continuity in that. But also, you were touching upon the, the more you work, it, it's, it's about the, the small percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say practice makes. And it, initially, my students used to say, perfect. But we aren't perfect. Pa- yeah. Practice makes progress. And yeah, that's absolutely. all I'm striving for is to progress forward, bettering ourselves each time. Every time they get up and sing. It might be the same song, but every time they get, get up, it's better. Bit every better. single time mm-hmm. they do it. And it takes that practice. It takes that consistency in working on it to be a better performer or to be better or to be better at showing up on time, working harder to be prepared for whatever it is. Whatever we apply that to. That's what we're working here at the temple and in the academy and our conservatories and eventually the half-day program, mm-hmm. which I'm going to make. It's going to happen. It is. It's it already is in the happen. works. It is in the works. I think that's a great place for us to kind of wrap up today. So your temple tea takeaway temple tea is take that away. practice makes progress. And what mm-hmm. we're doing here in the education department is we're progressing. We're moving forward. I can't wait to have you back on after we do the season reveal. Well, practice makes <laughs> progress, even in a sense, too, that on Whining Wednesdays. <laughs> Oh, we gosh. Have, we have to practice at being better on Whining yeah. Wednesdays, so I'm not putting $20 in the For jar. For those that time. don't know, Peggy uh, has instituted Peggy is Wednesdays. a wonderful leader, mm-hmm. uh, and she leads by example. She's probably one of the most joyful and optimistic people. Yes, she really is. Through hardship, through anything. She truly is. But so she was listening. She's the best person in a crisis, too. She really is. She really is. She's calm, and she's yeah. like, all right, we can do this. Um, but I think one of the, she was listening to a podcast or something. Probably um, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, probably Oprah. <laughs> Thank you, Oprah, for our freaking whining Wednesday jar. Um, but so she implemented no whining Wednesdays. And so we have this massive jar. And every time you whine, you got to put a dollar in the jar. And so it's really just saving up so we can go get margaritas and tacos. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the whole, but but, the whole philosophy of, the whole philosophy of practice makes progress can yeah. be applied to anything. It really can. It really And uh, the cool thing is, I think where we're headed, we have such a rich history to pull from, from just the education department alone. We've made some mistakes along the way, but we've always gotten better. And I think that's the thing that I love about this theater and the people that work here is that we are always striving to be better than we were Mm -hmm. yesterday, two years ago, 10 years ago. We are always striving to get better. And that's the same thing we're going to do on this podcast. So if you've made it this far, I hope you've had an enjoyable time. (laughs) The podcast is going to get better and better. And we hope that you'll just continue to share, put the news out there about the Temple Tea. This podcast has been fun. It has been. (laughs) And I look forward to the next time we get to meet and talk about specific certain things about, you know, because this was like the generalization of everything. Right. You know. Right. The the end all be all. all. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could tell you all the famous 
famous fun stories and I have oh, yeah. great theater stories. I'm telling you, I want to do one. I want to do a podcast with you and Peggy together and just tell about the Peggy, uh, the Pevy. The Pevy. <laughs> the Pevy and Gavin Peffy. Chronicles. Pevy, there it <laughs> is. Pevy. Pevy and Gavin Chronicles because you guys have had such my an Peggy incredible. Popcorn. She's my Peggy popcorn. Yeah, your popcorn. Mm-hmm. But thank you guys so much for listening. Gavin, thanks for being hey, on the podcast. Thank you. This was fun. We're definitely going to have to have you back after the season reveal because I know you are just dying. Oh, I almost slipped the other day. Did you? I almost slipped in front oh, of some parents no. yesterday. I almost said something that I shouldn't have said and I didn't. Oh. So Temple Teens, I did not slip. Yeah, don't slip. If you, if you're talking to your parents, don't. <laughs> don't do it. Thank you so much for having us and thank you guys for listening to the podcast. If you could do us one favor, just one small favor before you click off, before the music starts playing, I know it's really happy music. Share this podcast. You don't even have to say anything. Literally just hit that share button so that people know where we are. I was looking at the stats the other day, and mm-hmm. we're already being listened to in 10 different states, <gasps> in two countries. Excellent. So hello to our German German friends. German. I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Peggy was like, my people. My people. Um, but well, my thank people you guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in uh, just two more weeks. We're going to release a new episode every other Friday. So by the time this one comes out, we'll be recording the next one. And so come see Always Patsy Klein, March 10th. Yes, through, through 27th. 27th. March 10th through 27th. We're having Always Patsy Klein. You'll get to see Peggy Popcorn. Yeah. Be incredible in the and fabulous Lisa Dames. Yes. Um, and then, uh, is it a six-piece band? Six-piece band, six led piece by band. Uh, James Clark on the piano. James Clark. And if I you guys haven't a, seen him, I'll he's be amazing. here on Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on Thursdays to see Gavin in a Western shirt. Yep. Are you going to wear some boots? Uh, if <laughs> a I cowboy have a, hat? Uh, if I have a cowboy there hat, you I'll go. wear a cowboy hat. Oh, but thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.